0: I'm Lina van Tilburg for Biz News. Melani Favut was an ANC Member of Parliament, South African Ambassador in Ireland, the Executive Director of UNICEF in Ireland, and she's now a columnist and political analyst. She has recently released a book and a podcast titled Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. Melani, welcome again to Biz News.
1: Why, thank you. It's lovely to be here.
0: Well, we'll definitely have to talk about that book and podcast, but today we're talking about politics. Well, can I start by saying that right now the ANC seems to be using apartheid as its election campaign. Is that the only weapon it has left in its arsenal? Why the emphasis on apartheid and not on delivery or something else?
1: Look, I think like many things, it's not quite as simple as that. And I think it's important that we just look carefully at what they were saying. I'm not apologizing for them, but I think the media has run away with the story a little bit, um, and they are on legitimate points to criticize them, and I'm not 100% sure that this is the right one. When they launched their manifesto, there was a lot of mea culpa, and they've been doing a lot of that. They've been saying, you know, for the last two, three years, they've been saying, we've made mistakes, there must be corruption, Zondo, and so on and so on. And they also said at the time of the election manifesto launch, you know, that they had to admit that there was a lot of policies, most of them, in fact, I think they said that they didn't, um, were, were not able to fulfill the promises. Of course, there's an election coming. No political party is going to do too much of that and is just going to take on all the blame. So, yeah, it has got to do with the election. But I think when, when, when one looks at it, it happened three times. And it happened in the space of a week. And I think that's why the media really picked up on it. The the first one was Lindy Rezulu. I think actually the first one was the president, Ramaphosa, who made the point about well-qualified engineers and town class. And he said apartheid um, prevented us from having a lot of them. Um, I have to say it was almost his statement that I had the biggest problem with. The other wasn't actually for me so bad. He's one, I think there is a truth in that, because of course, you know, there has been a backlog of, of, of engineers and all problems with town planners. But the bigger problem in this case is, of course, the education system, which they cannot blame apartheid solely for, as most things they can't just blame apartheid for. And then secondly, of course, that there are a lot of good people, but a lot of people left or do not want to go into those positions anymore because it is so problematic. The other two Will and with Zulu, who raised it about housing. Now, she is not my favorite politician on a long shot, um, but I actually think she had a valid point, right? She was talking about the backlog in housing that originates still from a perfect day. And I then went and researched it because I wanted to know if she was talking the truth. There was about 1.5 million houses needed in 1994 when the ANC took over. The ANC succeeded in building roughly, on average, about 278,000 houses per year. Now, you can ask why not more, but there was, you know, it was quite significant since, since 1994. Um, the problem is the, the new entrances are more than that. So there's about 280,000 new that need houses every year that comes onto the waiting list. And that does not include... The uh, many of the foreign nationals, and particularly illegal foreign nationals. And in the case, she was referring to it after the horrendous fire in Johannesburg, which there is no excuse for, but that was, of course, mainly um, buildings that were occupied or a building occupied by foreign nationals. Um, so in a way, you know, there's always, in politics, you always have to listen quite carefully. And I have to say to all of them, including um, Minister Kankadi Main, who was talking about spatial planning and blaming that on apartheid, yeah, I mean, that is a perfect spatial planning is a it, you know, and as much as you can look at a city like Cape Town, we haven't broken loose of that, you know, and you can go into any city. And I, don't, I think that's a very difficult thing also because race and poverty, of course, overlay so much in this country still. So I I I think it's important to to just unpack the narrative. So that's why I'm taking a little bit of time um, and to acknowledge that the ANC is saying that they've made a lot of mistakes. Um, but yeah, they, there's a lot just acknowledging it's not good enough. There's a lot that they could have done and also a lot that they could have done post-Zuma that they didn't do. So, um, you know, the question is whether the voters are going to punish them. Um, I think they will, but I don't think they're going to... It's not as bad as many are making it out to be.
0: Well, um, President Ramaphosa in his election campaigns makes statements like, only the ANC can solve your problems. There's evidence the ANC government can deliver. Really... Do you think people are going to believe them with that kind of track record that you've just mentioned? depends who you're talking about. I mean, the the thing that we
1: know from the opinion polls are, um, and I have to acknowledge a lot of opinion polls are, you know, problematic around the world. And we're struggling to get accurate polling these days. And, of course, we have to also remember we're still a far far away out of the election. We don't exactly know when it will be, but it has to be somewhere before September next year. But it might very well only be after the winter, so more closer to September next year. So that's, you know, more than a year away. Um, and a lot can still happen. But what we know from the polls are that you know, the latest polling show that the ANC sits around the 50% if it's a high enough turnout. Either a high, it's, it's funny because of the proportional system we have, either a very high turnout or a low turnout benefits the ANC, and in both scenarios of those, they go very close to the 50%. And that is partly because the ANC's base is rural, more and more, that rural-based. And so, yeah, and people are incredibly loyal in South Africa, in the ANC particularly. You know, people will tell you, yeah, I'm very angry at them, but I was born in an ANC, my parents were ANC, so I'll stay in an ANC. The other thing is, of course, a lack of alternatives. There are not really for and, alternatives. And my belief is very strongly people focus on and criticize the ANC as they should, and I do too. But ultimately, the fact that the ANC keeps winning is also a very strong indictment on the opposition, that they have not been able to convince the majority of voters, and particularly black voters in this country, to feel that they can move over. And ultimately, um, you know, there isn't really an alternative. All the older people, so everybody over 35 and even 30 a little bit is not comfortable with the EFF. They they don't like Malema, they don't trust him. The under 35 is a completely different story and if the EFF can succeed in registering the young people and getting them to turn up on the day we can see a very interesting outcome. I mean not in the sense that the EFF will take over but they could very well then become their official opposition. Um, but we don't see anything like that happening yet. The young people are not interested. They're not registering yet. They are, and they certainly didn't turn out at the last election to vote. But the, those over 30 don't trust Malema. And then if you look at the majority, the profile of the majority of voters in this country, being black voters, there are not really any alternatives for them. They don't believe that the DA is multiracial enough with their leadership profiles. And um, so they're
0: not going down that route. Well, you've also said that you think this won't be the end of the ANC. And so, do you think the polls are right? Do you think the ANC might get that 50%? And if they don't, um, who is their alliance partner going to be? So, I think depending on the turnout again,
1: turnout is going to be the big story of this upcoming election on a national level. That we need to distinguish between national and provincial elections because I do think there is a, it's almost 100%. For sure that they'll lose hot tank. They, you know, the opinion polls show very bad um, numbers for them there. Um, KZN is an interesting thing that's wobbling a little bit for them as well. But definitely hot thing, But on a national level, depending on the turnout, I think they are going to be from what we see now, and again, we're a year out, um, you know, things can still change. I think they are likely to get above forty five. Um, and then there is a likelihood that they'll get close to the 50 or just on the 50%. Nothing really shows that they'll get way over 50. Um, but so there's a good chance. If they don't, and if they fall above 45, then of course they have a number of options, you know, and Drama will be good at securing that. They will, you know, go for the smaller parties, like they can do a deal with the IFP, and that would most probably bring them, up if they are above, if they're around 47, that will bring them up because the IFP is also growing quite significantly or they can make a deal with a number of the smaller parties and possibly some of the independents that we might see in the election. They then don't have to do the compromises and so on. There is some talk, which is interesting that I'm hearing more and more in the ANC. It's not formal talk, but it's sort of informal discussions around the possibility of actually doing, if they need a strong coalition partner, of doing a DAIP ANC coalition which would be interesting. It would obviously solve their problems in KZN for them with the IFP um, and then the DA comes in, you know, with, with their sort of numbers. And, you know, I don't particularly think it's a bad thing to give some of the tricky poor delivery portfolios to the DA um, and let them let them handle it. And I think the IFP, you know, there is some really interesting and good leaders in there. But that is, I think that is only really a scenario if the ANZ falls below 45 and they really need some numbers, you know. And then if they try and they not, they not do to, you know, they don't want to just go with one party. They are not keen, contrary to what the press tries to write about, and of course what the DA is pushing. They are not keen on the ANC. That is not keen on an EFF um, coalition. They all talk about it. The that they're not keen on it. The majority of the ANC's national executive is not keen on it. They, I mean, they're also nervous about Malema, right? They don't like, this is the guy whose party storms the president while he's talking, you know, in parliament, storms onto the state. They don't like that kind of chaos and disruption. And they know that he is, Malema particularly, is difficult, he's unreliable, he flip-flops, that's their favorite word for him, you know, that he's a real flip-flopper. So they're not keen on an EFF coalition. And the DA is obviously using it more as a fear tactic, you know, with voters, but it's, it's not really a, a truthful narrative of what's
0: going on in the ANC at the moment. During the funeral of Mangasuta um, Buthelezi, Ramaphosa made overtures to the IFB. So um, is, this, is this quite new? Because they seem to be, the IFB is part of this charter, part of the DA group. So, you know, do you think the IFB would come over to the ANC?
1: The one thing about politics, the one thing I'm sure about, you can't be sure about a lot of things in politics, but the one thing I'm sure about is that everything is up for grabs once power is involved. So even the parties who are saying now that they won't go ever with the ANC, yeah, if there's really a chance of being in cabinet and having some sense of power or influence, they will be in there. So I don't think you can ever say no. You know, nobody will ever, ever join the alliance with the ANC. And remember, it will be a coalition. It won't be that they have to join the ANC. It will be a coalition and they'll put up their preconditions and so on. I mean, even the DA, if you listen carefully to John Steenhuisen, he's never said that he won't go into a coalition with the ANC. He's never said it. He's very careful not to say that. You know, he tiptoes around it, but he's not, never said, I will not, you know, categorically said that as far as I'm aware, at least. And so I think any political party, if the, if the deal is right, and this is where Ramaphosa can be very important, I think that, you know, the deal will be made. I mean, that is a good thing. The one thing that I know from international investors and talking to them, the one thing that scares them, they don't particularly care as international investors who the president of South Africa is or which party is in government. What they care about is stability. And that there's not chaos. The one thing I know is that if we end up with a minority coalition, which is a fragmentation, like we have a jo- Johannesburg level now with the council, we have a multitude of tiny little parties all, you know, on the edge. One party withdraws in the morning, the government falls and so on. that's going to be chaos on a national level. We can't afford it. We've seen what that does to Johannesburg. Our politicians are not mature enough to manage a coalition like that. That will be chaos. I have absolutely no question mark around that. So it is far better that we have a majority, strong majority party, and then smaller coalition partners if we do need to go into coalitions. And in that sense, you know, with Ramaphosa there, that could work. I'm not convinced that anything other, which is far more fragmented in the oppositions, where can work.
0: Well, if you if you look at coalitions like somebody like the IFB and the DA goes in with the ANC. The ANC's legacy, would they want to be associated with that? Because you often see overseas, like in the UK, when the Lib Dems decided to form a government with the Tories, it destroyed the party. Wouldn't that be suicide for the DA and the IFP to go into a coalition with a party accused of state capture, accused of the infrastructure not working, of Eskom not working?
1: It could be, and you are right, that what happens in coalition governments is often, far more often than not, the minority party in the coalition gets destroyed at the next election. And that is partly because exactly what you're saying, they can't push their own policies. They can't, um, you know, they're not as visible as they'd like to. So they become more sort of messed up and in the messiness of the, the biggest party. So it is, it's very challenging for them. It, it, it will be. On the other hand, there is this carrot of power, and, you know, being able to do something, you know, and having a few very nice cabinet positions. And they will put their, you know, they will bargain hard. There's no question about it, because they will be aware of the the risk that's in it for them. And then, of course, there's always the risk that they can pull out. Just out of the coalitions, just one thing that we must remember, if the ANC gets high enough, you don't need an absolute majority to go. That's quite important to remember. The first thing is you just The president needs to be elected in parliament, and for that you need a majority of those present. You don't even need an absolute majority there. So if they can convince a few parties that at least Ramaphosa is the most important person, assuming it's him, they could get that, right? The only time they really need an absolute majority is to pass money bills. And so they could also make a deal to say you don't have to come into a formal coalition, but you agree, we'll give you certain benefits, committee chairs, maybe one or two cabinet positions, but you have to then agree to vote with us on the money bills so that the budget and the money bills do pass. So you don't need an absolute majority to. So if and this is why you know the numbers become quite important, and I think we just need to remember that as well. So there are many options in this coalition arrangements.
0: Well, let's talk about the president.
1: Is Ramaphosa are gonna hang around? Uh that I think is one of the biggest questions in political analysis at the moment. If you'd asked me a couple of months ago, I would have said no. I don't think he's staying long. I'm still not convinced that he'll serve out his full second term. Uh, he looks to me like a man, he looks a bit better recently, um, but for a long time he looked to me like a man who was done. You know, he's he looks to me like he looked to me like somebody who'd had enough. He never needed this. You know, he wanted to fix or finish the stuff he set out to do in Kudesa and that was the economic things that he wanted to fix. Then, of course, COVID hit. We had the riots. We've had some severe climate events. So he's had a rough ride as well, you know, and, of course, the legacy that Zuma left him. So he never needed it. He's rich enough. He's um, well-known enough. He's achieved enough. But I do think if he leaves now, it will be at a low point for him. It won't be great. He's definitely, I have no question around that. He will take us unless there is some catastrophic thing that happens. Um, he will take the, the country to the elections. How long he would stay after that, I think, is a is a question mark. I think that will depend on when he believes his successor is ready. And it's going to be a personal choice. I don't believe it's going to be a acrimonious thing. There's nothing suggesting that in the ANC at the moment, as it was clearly the case. It was building up to the Zuma thing. I think what we'll see, and if he decides to leave or if he starts sensing that there is a move to get rid of him, I think that he will leave. I have no doubt that Ramaphosa will not be one of those that will dig his heels in and let this become an unpleasant fight that will damage the country. I am 100% convinced whenever the, the, the handover happens that he will hand over in a correct manner.
0: So you speak to international investors. I mean, Paul Moshetili looks like a very unpleasant successor. And I mean, the News24 has dug up a lot of dirt about him. Mm -hmm. How do they feel about Paul Moshetili? Do you think it would be him? Could it be somebody else? Look, I mean, the Paul Moshetili stuff
1: that's been dug up to a large extent, it's been around his personal life, you know, it's been about his personal relationships and so on, which in the ANC, just in terms of the personal stuff and having multiple girlfriends and money that goes to them and so on. That in itself in the ANC is never about. It. you know, they don't regard that as a major issue. The bigger question is, of course, is there a compromise? Has he been compromised in donors that have been giving him money? I mean, that's where the question marks lie. And that hasn't been clarified either way yet and should be clarified and it's important that it does and, and so on. My experience with international investors, again, is that they don't particularly are concerned about him taking over Because ideologically, in terms of business policies, economic policies, they don't see a big threat in him. And I think they're correct on that level. So, you know, one, that the question is always, do you think it will be a peaceful handover? And then secondly, where does he stand ideologically on the spectrum in terms of economic policies? And in that sense, I don't think there is a concern about all. The bigger concern is just, has he been compromised in some way in terms of You know, the the News24 likes to call it a state capture, another sense of state capture. Has that been happening with business people and will that impact on his presidency? And in that regard, I do think it is good that Ramaphosa stays a while. Because one, of course, also, Paul hasn't had that much experience in government of late. And it's been mainly in the provincial side of things, not so much on the national side. And that has been quite a while ago. So I think it has been very good that he is in the presidency, finding his feet, Learning a bit. And then, of course, let the things come out that need to come out so that we know if he is the correct person. In terms of who is there in the ANC, well, maybe who is there in the country? It's not only in the ANC. The question is actually just who else. You know, there are younger guys coming up in the ANC, Ronald Lamola being one. But, you know, it's been pickings and beside the ANC that looks like, and they're not ready yet for presidential. They're not presidential material, they're material, but they're not ready to take over. And, I mean, that's, of course, also the problem. Should you suddenly face the issue of a minority coalition? If you look at the opposition parties, you know, we, if you accept that you don't want Malema, then, you know, John and will not be accepted by the majority of people in this country. Who are you looking at then? You know, Peter Grunewald from the Freedom Front, no. The IFP, that would be a chaos, you know. So who are you looking at then? You know, yes, maybe somebody like Zongezi Zebi from Mzanzi, but um Rise Zanzi, but you know, that then you're sitting with the Johannesburg scenario of the leader of the country with maybe a one percent vote, you know, which won't be the right thing to do, obviously in
0: terms of democratic principles.
1: So that's a problem all around. and the the problem of who can
0: succeed at this stage. So what do you expect in the next twelve months? Violence, a lot of violence was in at interference in the, in the election? Or not?
1: No, not that. I mean, I think look. Tensions always rise um, with around election time, and particularly in fragmented societies like ours. So, and this is what you're seeing with the apartheid analogy as well. Of course, the racial tensions are being, you know, rise because it's an easy thing to blame, you know, and it's easy to, to play the race card, and it's a dangerous race card, a dangerous card to play. Um, but it always happens. So, tensions will rise. We have seen an increase in protests around lack of service delivery. That will continue and most probably keep rising again. You know, if they can get ESCOM a little bit better, the load shedding, I think that will go a long way into calming things down. It doesn't help them when, like what we've seen in the last week, it doesn't help the country and certainly not the, the victims of the chaos in our ancient payouts, you know, where the... Hundreds of thousands of old pensioners didn't get their pensions in time because of a glitch. I think what they will do at their utmost as the governing party, what we'll see is that they will do more populist things or try and, you know, make more populist promises and try very much to keep the social grounds in place, even increase them. But yeah, I mean, I think we'll just see the normal kind of political grandstanding around this. I think the violence. I think the violence would be more related to localized service delivery, as I've just said. Um, I don't expect this. the government is also far more prepared now for it. You know, any large-scale coordinated violence, I don't see that coming at
0: all. No, like the July riots.
1: Okay, the KZN, there is always tension there as well, but often it's also inside the particular political parties. You know, and I think that's also why you saw the ANC making and the president making big sort of overtures doing Manga lazy Prince Manga sotipot um, funeral now. They always need to watch that. That's always, you always need to watch that one. You know, that's never completely over. But I think they are making a lot of efforts in that um,
0: to try and just keep that tension under control. Oh, but the Treasury has sounded the alarm on money. I mean, where would they get the money for these projects that they normally launch before an election and even to fix the electricity? I mean, we're on what? We've had, what, stage seven, eight, something like that.
1: We're back now to stage two today because they've been able to bring one of Kusili's units back. The electricity minister, just on that, is is promising as they can bring Kusili some of the units back and particularly if they can bring um, Quebec back online. That you know, this will all ease a little bit. Of course, as it gets closer to the election, they will burn diesel and gas as much as they can, you know, to just to reduce the load shedding to... They will, I mean, they will make a plan. We know that there's going to be a massive budget um, shortfall. All state departments have been told to cut back. There's some protests around that. But, I mean, there's always a lot of fat still, you know, irrespective. There is fat that they can trim, so... I don't think they can do anything dramatic before the election. There isn't money. They've also made commitments to the IMF and the World Bank, which means they can't do massive, for example, salary increases to the civil servants. They can't, and there is not money to do that. So I don't think they. And this is, of course, you know, to come circle back to your question. The first question is why they're going to try things like blaming apartheid, because you know when there's no money to buy in inverted comma, or to bring the big things on stream that you want to bring on stream before an election, then of course you need to find the boogeyman somewhere. And in this case, you know the the, the race and the party is going to be the one that they will use. And some of it legit,
0: but not, and a lot of it not. Milani, for always very interesting. Thank you so much. My pleasure.